Well, good morning, everyone. That was halfway decent good morning for a cold, dreary kind of day. What a change, right? We went from feeling, I, I wore shorts and flip-flops to the church one day this week, and now it's like this again. That's okay. Uh, we have so many reasons to be grateful. Let me welcome you to Old Providence Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. Amongst all the reasons we have to be grateful is that the Lord has given us facilities such as these where we can come out out of the cold and the, the dreariness out there and enjoy this space. We know that it is inconvenient, but we appreciate your patience as we continue along with our sanctuary uh, refreshing project. Now, again, I said it just a moment ago. If you didn't get a bulletin, you need one because all of the music is in the bulletin for today. Obviously, we don't have hymn books, don't have a screen. Um, but also in there is the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed and the scripture passage that we are using today. So, And it does go in order, right? You start there and then you, you turn. Um, so be aware of that. Now again, what a blessing it is that the Lord has brought us here. And I welcome you, whether you are a first-time visitor or maybe a lifelong member or somewhere in between. Um, what a blessing it is that, that again, the Lord has, has given us this time, that he set this time apart that we can focus on him. Now... And we're going to do just that as we worship. But before we begin, let me just point you to your bulletin. There are lots of announcements, calendar dates, etc. I will say that regular youth group tonight is not meeting at 5.30 because we have our service project at Valley Mission and we're meeting at 2 o'clock. Okay, so 2 o'clock here. Um, also be aware of things like Wednesday night and daily devotionals that are back in session. Um, also in our bulletin you'll see all sorts of financial year-end information, right? Um, also, there's information about the baby bottle campaign that you can pick those up over there. That's for um, Women's Comfort Care, which is a crisis pregnancy center, amongst other things. Now, as far as the big announcement goes, members especially, please do stay after this service so that we can vote. All right, I'll, I'll let the elders and, and Finley deal with that when we get there. But we are having a congregational meeting immediately after this service, I think at 1015. But... Having that congregational meeting, everybody is invited to stay, but only members have voice and vote, so please keep that in mind. Um, now, there's other things going on, but I'm going to let you find those again. It is the Lord that has called us here, and he has called us here to worship him. So, let's prepare our hearts for worship as Donna leads us in the prelude. Our call to worship this morning is not from the book of Psalms, and that's kind of atypical for us. Instead, it is from what I think, I go back and forth on this. People ask me, what's your favorite passage in the Bible? This may be my favorite right now, though it's very hard to choose. But Isaiah 40 is where our call to worship comes from, not only for its power, 
but also because it's in Isaiah 40 um, that, that we really get something very valuable. <laughs> We're told something very valuable in terms of what our focus is today. So Isaiah 40 says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. That her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places like a plain and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord is spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fail because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fail. But the word of our God stands forever. God, through the prophet Isaiah, would go on to talk about who this God is that we serve in so many different verses and so many different metaphors, talking about everything from Lebanon, skipping like a calf, uh, to, to, to down to verse 21, where God, through Isaiah, asks, Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was formed? He who sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He, he stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent. He who brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted. No sooner are they sown. No sooner do they take root in the ground that he blows on them. And they dry and wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. And again, he goes on to talk about this God that we serve and our calling finally in verse 31, which is so important for where we are today, says, but those who hope in the Lord, or as the King James says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strengths. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. My friends, we have so many reasons to worship our God in heaven. The fact that he is the creator is enough and he's over us. But the fact that he loves us so much. The fact that through him we can do all things that he calls us to do. And what an amazing God we serve. Let us keep these things in mind now. As we come into this time of worship, take your insert and stand with me now as we sing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Please stand with me. Song. 
Now you may be seated. As it is the Lord that has called us to worship, it's only appropriate that we go to him in prayer, after which we'll pray the Lord's Prayer and confess the Apostles' Creed, which are also in your bulletin insert. But let's go to the Lord now. Our God and our Father, as we have lifted up just now in song, as we have read from your word, there are none that compare to you. You alone are worthy of our praise and our honor and our glory. And so we come now to give you these things. But as we come, we know that we face a deficit. We know that we bring all sorts of things with us into this time. So please, by your Holy Spirit, empower us, work in our hearts, work in our minds, that our focus would be you and glorifying your name. May it all be pleasing to you, Father. We thank you that you are here with us and that you have called us here today. We pray all of these things in Christ's name, and we also pray as he taught us to pray, by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now as we say the Apostles' Creed together, let me ask you, Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen indeed. Amen. Now let's stand together again and sing number 225, God's Covenanted Faithfulness. I should say Bible song number 225, God's Covenanted Faithfulness. Please stand.
Excellent. You may be seated, and children may now be dismissed. Children, sorry, I didn't have the microphone. Children may now be dismissed for Children's Church right over this way. Now, as they are being dismissed, let's take this time to go to our Lord in silent prayer, and then I will lead us in the pastoral prayer. But let's go to him now. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, again, what a blessing it is, what a gift it is that you have called us to be in this place, not just as individuals, but as your people. As we've just listed up from the psalm, uh, we are, are, are your chosen people. The seed of Abraham is your son, Jesus Christ, and by faith in him, we are adopted into this grand plan of redemption that found its root all the way back in, in the Garden of Eden when our first father and mother sinned. And you promised that one would rise that would crush the head of the serpent. You were faithful throughout the Old Testament and indeed, Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior, came, lived the perfect life, did all the things that we wouldn't do, all the things that we couldn't do in fulfilling your law. And then he laid down his life for us. And as a result, we are part of something so much bigger than ourselves. Something so much bigger than, than that which the world has to offer. The, the, these ever-changing communities, these ever-changing causes that are designed to bring fulfillment and completeness and contentment and just disappoint. No, Father, through Jesus Christ, we are united as brothers and sisters as a part of your kingdom. And with Christ as our brother and, and you as our father, we know that we are heirs indeed. And yet, Father, as we wait on that time, on, on the consummation of, of your son's kingdom forevermore, we know that we face challenges, challenges of different varieties. Sometimes those challenges come from a physical variety. We face sickness. We get hurt. We have to have surgery. And then 
There's recovery from surgery and, and, and all of these things. Father, we pray for your grace and for your mercy. Several of our people have undergone procedures very recently. We think of Sylvia. We thank you that she's home, but now we pray that you would continue to watch over her as she continues in this treatment. We think of others who are still recovering from surgeries and some that are waiting on surgeries. You know these situations, so please bring peace and comfort. And yet we know that the physical is not the only problem that we have in this life. Sometimes it's emotional. On days like today, after Christmas in January, even though a new month is ahead of us, the cold dreariness can, can bring about all sorts of things. Even seasonal depression is a thing. And then, Father, we know that emotionally speaking, we need your help. So would you shore us up, encourage us, give us joy in Christ alone. And Father, we know that sometimes the troubles we face are of a relational matter. It can be trouble with, with spouses, with friends, with family, with coworkers, and the list goes on and on because we're all just people. And we're sinners. So please come to our aid in that arena as well. Father, I, I, just, these are just a few, but you know what we face. You know the challenges that each one of us in this room faces even the challenges that we ourselves don't know that we're facing. Your love is comprehensive. So, Father, please give us grateful hearts. Let us live in light of who you are and who you have called us to be. We pray this for ourselves here at Old Providence. We pray it for your church universal as, as your church lives out the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray that what we present to the world around us not as an item to be sold, but as a reality to be experienced, that, that by our lives we would point people to Jesus Christ. And that as a result, your kingdom would grow and grow. Oh, Father, as we look at the world and we, we see the world's problems, we know that there are so many remedies that are just temporary. Instead, the world needs Jesus. So let the world see Jesus through us and let us be ready to proclaim his greatness. We pray this in all things in Christ's name. Amen.
Thank you very much, choir. Such an appropriate anthem for today, considering where we are going to be in God's Word. Now, let me start by saying it wasn't too long ago that I was asked about how I prepare for a sermon. I, I answered by, by talking about the mechanics first of the actual process, translation of the, of the text from Greek or, or Hebrew to English, depending on if it's Old or New Testament, right? Uh, but chief of all is beginning with the question, what has been revealed? If you had to say, what, what's the first thing you really have to do? You have to ask, what has been revealed in God's Word? And then in light of that, you, you try to understand what is revealed in God's Word in its original context, in, in, in light of other scriptures, so that you have a firm grasp on it, right? But that's just the mechanics. What ultimately makes a sermon a sermon is not just the information that you find in a passage but rather it's the application of that information. There's a fancy word for this, and it's admonition, right? Admonition. The teaching is about conveying information, and certainly teaching is a part of preaching, okay? It's, a, it's an extremely important part. But what makes a sermon a sermon is admonition, how I call you as your pastor, and much more importantly, what God calls you to do. In light of his word, that is of primary and ultimate importance. Admittedly, we're all at different stations in life. We all face different issues, right? We, that you could take any given passage and it will apply to us in different ways. But that calling from God for obedience, that calling from God to live in light of what his word reveals to us, while it applies in different ways, that calling is all ours. And that calling means that sermons and, and this time is about more than just knowledge. Think about it. I'm not saying that knowledge with, with no use is necessarily a bad thing. I mean, if you want random trivia, I'm your guy, okay? There was a place um, in my last church that did uh, did trivia nights, and I would get together with some of the church members and... and um, I can't remember. It was at a, what was it? Oh, it was called Sticky Fingers. It was a barbecue place. I knew it was something weird. But anyway, um, I remember one night we won the whole thing, and we got a $50 gift card because the question was, what are the names of the lion statues outside of the New York Public Library, right? Anybody know those? Anybody know? Patience and fortitude, okay? And I knew it! And I'm like, all right! Yeah, that was the one time in my entire life that that was beneficial knowledge, okay? Because we got 50 bucks. But as it relates to knowledge itself, it's not bad to know that kind of thing. But if that's what God's word becomes, if you have knowledge that you never put into action, if you never use it, ah, there and now we're dealing with a problem, Right? And so my desire, but more than my desire, my job and my calling, what I'm going to be held accountable to before God, is me preaching God's calling for you from his holy word. And because we focus on the application, what, not only what this is, but what it means, what God is calling you to do, the reason that we did, or because we do that, that's why I ask so many questions, right? Somebody says, you ask a lot of questions in your sermon. Well, yeah. I call on you to examine yourself. That's why I so often appeal to you to examine the world around you as well and, and its thoughts, its patterns, it, and its practices. 
And I challenge you to set the world's thoughts and, and patterns and practices up against God's word. And such is the case today. I'll do it again today. I want you to take a moment right now to think about the world around you. And no, I don't mean the physical. I don't mean the, the scenery and the places. I mean the people. If you had to describe the world and worldliness, how would you describe it? Don't answer out loud, but think about the world around you, its ideas, its practices, what it does, how it behaves, how it thinks. Take a moment to do this. <clears throat> All right, time's up. That was 30 seconds. Even though it was only 30 seconds, I'm certain something came to mind. It's interesting what we think about when we think about the world and worldliness. Maybe you thought about the struggles of the world. You know, we really are sheltered here in America. We've been having these rains. I think it was Johnny was saying his sup pump in the basement is running. Um, this is something that we can relate to to a certain extent because of Hurricane Camille. When was that, 1969, I believe it was? Hurricane Camille came through, and you had a case of the whole mountain moving. But by and large, we're not used to some of the struggles of the rest of the world as they face things like natural disasters from terrible infrastructure, bridges falling down everywhere, buildings just collapsing. We're not used to that. Maybe that's something that you thought about, the, the struggles of the world. We're so sheltered here, we don't know about things like famines or dictators, or genocides, but certainly these are out there. Maybe you thought about the hurting of the world, how the world hurts, how there's war and conflict. Maybe you thought about just the world's craziness and how every day it's something else, right, that makes you shake your head and you say, wonder, I wonder what's going on here. What in the world is happening? Look at this foolishness. Or maybe you didn't think about those things at all. Maybe you thought about kindness in our world. Maybe you thought about the world striving to do better, to do more for one another. And that too is present. I'm not denying that. But even in that sphere of things, that desire to do more, to do better, something is betrayed in how the world works. And something is broken in the world. Something is missing terribly. Of all the things that we might observe about the world around us and how it works... It doesn't matter what the world does ultimately, but doesn't all of the world's actions, doesn't it ultimately point to, in a single word, doesn't it point to yearning? As you think about the world around you, isn't it yearning? Yearning for riches, for youth, for time, for peace, for safety, for a good fortune, Roger. Yearning to obtain a clear conscience. Yearning to feel better, to look better, to move beyond the past, sometimes to erase the past. I would say, yes, there is a constant yearning in the world around us, yearning for something more. And oh, how the world is so quick to provide something more that's supposed to be the fix. And it's always something, a, a, another community that's supposed to provide the fix, right? A community that you can be part of that's supposed to impart meaning. You think about environmental stuff, save the whales, you don't hear about that, or, or Greenpeace anymore, but you hear about sustainability and going green, right? 
And, and some of this stuff is just crazy. You know, we want to save the planet, so we tear the face off of Fairfield, off of the interstate, to save the planet and put in solar panels, right? I mean, I, I see that. It's like, wow, we're saving the planet here, you know, as they scorch the earth to put in solar panels. But nevertheless, right, you see things like that. I could go on and on. You've got the veganism thing out there and that sort of stuff. Read between the lines, though, of all of these things. They're supposed to, to, to provide meaning. They're supposed to provide purpose. And if it isn't causes, people can become involved in different movements, things like politics, where politics becomes folks' religion. And they believe that, that their politics and their political leader of choice will fix the world. Sometimes it's passions that people look for for meaning, often of a relational or even sexual nature, thinking that that will bring contentment. And y'all, we can never forget about stuff, how the world looks to stuff to bring contentment. Oh my goodness. How we look for happiness in things, in experiences. If I only had fill in the blank, and it doesn't matter what you fill in the blank with. If I only had this, I don't know, this car, this piece of technology, if I only had a bigger house, if I only had this, if I only had that, then I'd be good to go. I'd be happy. But even that, I don't know if you, if you follow the trends of the world. Even happiness is not really what the world is looking for, not anymore. Because the world has recognized that happiness can be exhausting. So the world has switched to a certain extent. Instead, what the world is looking for everywhere now, and they have the sense to see it, though I think this is what they've always been looking for. But what the world is trying to beg, borrow, or even steal, what the world really wants is contentment. Being content, being satisfied, being at peace, to be content. Of all the things, now you know, rewind back in your mind, of all the things that you thought of when you considered the world, I would guess that pretty low, if you had to make a list of all the ways to describe the world, I would guess that being content is pretty low on that list. Yes, think about the world around you. It always tells you you can be rich or healthy or skinny or pretty or smart or wiser, and the list goes on and on and on, right? The world sells these things, but what it does not offer is contentment, peace. And yet, contentment is the very thing offered in God's word in our passage today, or at least the secret to being content is offered to you. And it's offered in light of what we covered two weeks ago when we were together in Philippians chapter 4. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Philippians 4 with me. It is also in your bulletin insert if you need it. But remember where we were the last time. Contentment begins with the antidote to worldliness and worldly thinking. Where we were a couple of weeks ago was Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. And they say, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the peace of God, or, or the God of peace, will be with you. Y'all, this is where contentment begins. You've got to break the cycle of worldly thinking and instead Dwelling on things above, not on things below, as Colossians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, but focusing on that which is pure, true, honorable, just, lovely, etc. It's focusing on these things that is the start of finding contentment. 
But there is a crucial piece of the puzzle revealed in our passage today. The secret to contentment is revealed in Philippians chapter 4. What is it? Well, let's pray and then we'll read. Our Father, please be with us now as we talk about this subject that is ever so important. This subject that so many people miss. And sadly, because this isn't just about knowledge. This is about life. This is about why we do what we do and how we do what we do. Oh, Father, please be with us now. By your Holy Spirit, turn the lights on so that we can see. And as we're reading your word, let us be honest with ourselves. Let us admit our own yearnings, our own looking for meaning in so many things. And instead, let us find the secret to contentment. We won't do this without you, so please guide us now. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Philippians chapter 4 is where we are, starting in verse 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, because once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with a little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And we'll stop reading right there. May God bless the reading of his holy and errant and infallible word. Amen and amen. Well, my friends, did you catch it? The secret to contentment, it was right there in verse 13, wasn't it? Sort of like the last time that we were together, I said of verses 8 and 9, I'll say it again of what we just read. You don't have to be some biblical scholar to see it. You don't have to be an expert in reading comprehension or the English language to catch it. It's spelled out clear as crystal right there in verses 12 and 13. I'm going to read it again just in case you glazed over it. The secret to contentment. Verse 12. This is Paul speaking. I know how to make do with a little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. I hope you caught it then. The secret of being content in whatever circumstances you face. And whatever means whatever. Paul's trying to use comprehensive language there in verse 12 when he talks about being well fed, being hungry, being in abundance, being in need. It's a spectrum that he's presenting, right? And it's whether you have a lot, whether you have a little. It's everything in between. No matter what you face, the secret of being content in whatever circumstances you face is having the conviction and living out the fact that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Now I'm going to say that again because I would, I would contend with you that the number one thing that the world is looking for, it might say love, it might say peace, it might, what the world is really looking for is contentment, being satisfied. 
and the secret to contentment. The secret to being satisfied again is that whatever circumstances you face is having the conviction and living out the fact that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Now, shall I pronounce the benediction? No. Because here's the thing. What does this mean? Yeah, it's interesting. I had a conversation with a very good friend of mine. He's a colleague as well. Um, and, and he's a scholar. His name is Nathan Frazier. He's a pastor in ARP church outside of Charlotte. Or I think it's actually right in Charlotte. But anyway, um, Dr. Frazier, he's a Ph.D. I wish I knew one-tenth of, of what he knows, though he probably doesn't know the name of the lions outside of the New York <laughs> library. But nevertheless, he's brilliant. And he uses this term. He talks about folk Christianity. He talks about the trends of Christianity in the United States. He's a church historian, right? I told him what passage I was speaking on today, and Dr. Frazier talked about the, the usage of Philippians 4.13 but also different verses and their prevalence over the years. How in the 70s, right, coming out of the Billy Graham ministry, the Crusades, all those sorts of things, and revivalism, it was John 3.16. Boy, that was a big one back in the 70s. right? And then today, fast forward to today, and he said, today, if you had to pick a verse to sum up American Christianity, it's Jeremiah 29.11. And how often it is misused because it says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you. And instead of us reading that in light of Jeremiah and what God was going to do for his people going into exile, we say, that, mean God, that, that, that means God wants me to prosper. He wants me to be rich and happy and all of these different things. And we misuse that. But in the 80s and 90s, it was something different. You know, the 80s and 90s, when Gen X was, was coming in, Wall Street was booming. It, you, know, you, you had Carter, then you had Reagan. It, it, it was after the revival period. And the emphasis verse for American folk Christianity, it was all about doing. All about what you could do. This was back when the army, remember what the army slogan was? Be all you can be, right? Um, then it would become army of one. I don't know what it is today. But nevertheless, nevertheless, it was about being all you could be. But the main verse of the 80s and 90s in American folk Christianity was Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the emphasis of Philippians 4.13 for so many, just like Jeremiah 29.11 is all about how God wants me to be rich and happy. That's, that, that's not what it's about. But nevertheless, that's the idea. In the same way, the emphasis for Philippians 4.13 for so many was the I and the me. I can do all things. But is that what Philippians 4.13 is really about? Is the secret to your being content just making up in your mind that you can do it? This verse, I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is one that is near and dear to me. And I, I'll tell you that you know, very personally. I attended a small Christian school. Some of you all know that. And Philippians 4.13 was its main theme. right? That, that was uh, on their sign. It was on the yearbook. For the Shannon Forest Crusaders, right? Philippians 4.13. And not so much there, but again, in, in American Christianity, the emphasis of this verse, the main idea that folks had about it, was that it's all about what they could do, what you can do, what I can do. I remember, I'll give you an example of this, prime misuse. Okay, I remember when Evander Holyfield boxed Mike Tyson. 
Mike Tyson had been in jail. Anybody remember? Mike Tyson had been in jail, I think, for sexual abuse, right? And he was released from jail. He was ready to fight. Evander Holyfield, number one competition. It was November of 1996. And when Evander Holyfield came out, Philippians 4.13 was on his boxing trunks. I can do all things. Now, I was 15 at the time, and I wasn't a scholar. But even then, I thought, is that, is that what this verse really means? That hopefully I can knock this man unconscious before he knocks me unconscious? <laughs> is that what Paul's getting at here? And I said to myself, ah, that doesn't sound right. And when you read 4.13, this is one of the problems. I warn you all all the time. Beware refrigerator magnet theology, right? Or beware bumper sticker theology when you find one verse and you take it out of context. My favorite example of this is the desk calendar that quotes Luke and it says, Worship me and all shall be thine. And that's like the verse of the day. And you say, well, that sounds great. The problem is that's the devil saying that to Jesus, okay? That shouldn't be your verse of the day, you dig? Anyway, when you take individual verses out of the context of where you find them, you can come up with anything. Like, maybe I'll knock this guy unconscious before he knocks me unconscious. But when you read 4.13 in light of verse 12, this idea of having a lot or having a little, being hungry or, or, or being well-fed, do you come away with the secret to contentment is all about I and me? That being content is all about what you can do? How does that match up? Well, the fact is that it doesn't. In fact... If you really think about it, and if you're really honest with yourself, you know that there are all sorts of things out there that you can't do. But let's not just talk about you and me. We live in a world full of other people, don't we? We live in a world full of circumstances that have nothing to do with mine and your stick to our ingenuity, our American spirit of, of pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps kind of thing. We live in a world of circumstances. There's all kinds of things that I can't do, that you can't do. So it must be something else here. The emphasis must be something more than the me than the I, than your personal empowerment and mine. So what is it all about? Well, it comes down to how you read this verse. Because you see, if you read Philippians 4.13 with just yourself in mind, if all you see in Philippians 4.13 is the I and the me and the can, you miss Jesus. But if you read Philippians 4.13 in light of, Jesus, you find out that the secret to contentment isn't about what you can do at all. The secret to contentment is not about self-confidence and believing you can do it. No, you find out the opposite. The secret to contentment is the knowledge that you can't do it. Not on your own. True contentment comes. True peace is found when you're content with the fact that without Jesus, you can't do anything. You want to be content? You want to be at peace? That is where you must start. Why? 
Well, consider our Lord talked quite a bit about this, didn't he, and where we get our power from. But it goes back to John 15, 5. It's so concise. What our Lord said to his disciples there, he used this metaphor of the vine and the branches, right? And he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You ever had a limb break on your tree? We had one in the, I don't remember... It was after ice last year sometime, but one of the branches broke on, on one of the maple trees out in front of the house, and I didn't realize it at the time. And this past year at fall, right, when the leaves were supposed to start changing, I was like, hmm, that's interesting. The rest of the tree is green, but there's one it's it's kind of reddish brown, and then it became clear, oh, I know why, because that limb is broken. I couldn't tell looking from the outside, but that branch, that limb was broken. It was dead. And the life of the rest of the tree around it betrayed the fact that it was dead in the winter. I couldn't tell. There's no leaves on any of the branches. But y'all know that that's how this works. Whether it's a tree and branches, whether it's a vine or a branch, it doesn't really matter. Once the vine or the branch, or once the, the what, yeah, exactly. once the vine or the branch breaks off, right, it doesn't matter what, what the circumstances are. The same thing is inevitable. Once a branch breaks off of the vine or off of the tree, its leaves shrivel and ultimately it dies because it's been cut off from nourishment. Right? It, it, it has no nutrients. What Jesus tells us is that's how it works with him. It's the same way with him and his people. If you don't have Jesus, you can't do a thing because on your own you have no power and neither do I. It doesn't mean that we won't do anything. It just means that we'll revert to our nature and our nature is to sin. Now you might hear this and say, Wow! This preacher knows how to preach an encouraging message. It's a good time to be here today. But y'all, here's the thing. I'm just telling you the truth about who we are on our own. And you didn't really need me to tell you that anyway, did you? As you examine your own efforts, I know that we can fool ourselves with the illusion of success. But who are you without Christ? But even so, let me tell you the good news. Contentment is based on knowing you can do nothing, but in the same breath. Contentment is also based on the faith and knowledge that with Jesus, you can do whatever he's calling you to do. You see, it works both ways. And when you get to that point that you're absolutely, totally relying on him, when you get to that point that you understand that he is in all things and working all things for your good and for his glory, when you realize that because of Jesus and his strength, not about what you can do, but because of what he can do, when you realize that no order is too tall, That no situation is beyond redemption. That no person is too far gone or situation too messed up because of Jesus. And that with his strength, you can do all things. You and I face all sorts of limitations on our own. But with Jesus, what can compare to the strength of the almighty God? You can do all things through him. If that's your attitude, that changes the way you look at the world. It changes the way that you respond to the world. It changes everything because this knowledge, this belief, this lifestyle is one of contentment and peace. It's trusting and waiting for the Lord. As we read at the beginning of the service, Isaiah 40 ends with this statement that those who wait upon the Lord shall have their strength renewed. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, right? But it's not about the person. It's about the Lord. To quote verse 12 from Philippians 4, this lifestyle teaches you as Paul learned to do with a little 
or to do with a lot because trusting in Christ means that your circumstances, while they're not, I'm not saying they aren't real, ultimately they don't matter because he can intercede at any moment. This lifestyle, this belief, this faith for humanity, the application for humanity, ultimately leads you to the point of surrender to Christ. And my friends, it's in that surrender that you will taste victory for the first time in your life. If you have never surrendered to him, and no, I'm not just talking about salvation. There are loads of people who know Jesus and don't trust him as they should. I'm talking about ultimate surrender initially through trusting in Christ, but I'm talking about surrender right now in this life. How do I know these things? Because there have been many times that I've been one of them. And instead of surrendering to Christ and trusting him, we trust in ourselves. And if you'll be honest, you'll admit you've been one of them too. The nature of this life and who we are is that we must battle against this desire to make everything about us. Why is Philippians 4.13 prime territory for misinterpretation? Because we love us. I love me. You love you. Our first natural inclination is just to focus on us and miss that this is all about Christ. That's why if you start at the start truly believing that you can do nothing without Jesus, that that you are nothing without Jesus, if you start at the start by relying on his strength, well then, you have one thing the world can never provide, and that is contentment. But it starts at the start. So I invite you, if you've never surrendered to the Lord, do so now. For some, that may mean you don't know him at all. You never ask him to save you. He isn't Lord of your life. And if that's you, ask him to save you right now. Come and see me after and we'll talk. But if you know Jesus, evaluate yourself and why you believe what you believe, what you let yourself believe, what you tell yourself. And remember whose you are, who you belong to, and that without Christ you can do nothing but with him. All things are possible. Now, there is more in our passage that we have not covered today, but... We'll go back next week and we'll get the other things that Paul is talking about. Let us keep these things in mind and in our hearts. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we praise you for all the ways that you are faithful. Forgive us for the times that this life becomes just about what we can do, who we are, our stick-to-itiveness, etc. And instead, let us trust in you alone. And let us take heart, realizing that we can do all things but only because of you. If there are any here that do not know you, work in their hearts now. And I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. And now, let us stand together and close this time by singing number 374, the last in our insert, Be Still My Soul, number 374.
Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Members especially, please stay for the congregational meeting.